Well, good evening, everybody. I'd like to thank you all for joining me live tonight for Destin for Torah. We have started a new series tonight in the book of Ecclesiastes, and the title for tonight's teaching is How to Bring Meaning to Your Life. And is that a question you've ever asked yourselves? I mean, what, what, is, what is the purpose for your life? What, is, what does God want to do with your life? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And before we get started, let's open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just come to you in the precious name of Yeshua, in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I just ask that your anointing will just fill the, the lives of every, of every household represented here tonight, Father God. Lord, we just give you all the glory, all the honor and praise. And I, Father God, I just pray, Father God, that you just touch everyone that's online tonight, Father God. And Lord, I'm, I'm asking you, Lord God, to give direction. Lord, I'm asking you, Lord, to give new assignments, Father God, to all of your people on the line tonight. That as we come into this new year on the biblical calendar, the year of 5781, Lord God, I ask you, Lord God, to, to, to bring purpose and may this new year be filled with so much purpose, with so much meaning, with so much fulfillment, Lord God, that everyone on this, on this line, Lord God, will know that they are walking in the fullness of their destiny for this new year. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Well, saints of God, thanks again. Thanks once again for joining me tonight. And again, the title for tonight's year is How to Bring Meaning to Your Life. And for those of you that read the blog, um, I'm going to actually just repeat what I've written in the blog already. And if you like, you can actually find the blog online. Just go to www.destinedfatora.com. Click on, click on the blog icon, and then you can drill down into the blog for tonight's service. So tonight, um, one of the questions we're going to address tonight is, how does one bring meaning to his or her life? And this is a question that has been tackle, tackled by uh, numerous theologians, by philosophers, uh, psychologists, religious leaders, and, 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 and writers throughout history. And this is the question that's addressed by the wisest man that ever lived, and that is by King Solomon. Now, for those of you that have been following the Hebrew feast, and all of the, monument, the monumental things that take place during the year take place during the biblical feast. For example, God created all of creation on a Rosh Hashanah, so the year begins on the first day of the seventh month, which is the month of Tishri, and that's when the, the, the creation has, has, has taken place. And today begins the feast, uh, sunset begins the feast of Purim. Purim is the tenth day of the seventh month. It's a and it, it's called the Day of Atonement. In Hebrew, it's called Yom Kippur, it's the holiest day of the entire year, and this is the day in which our destinies are sealed in the Book of Life. And so, and and during each of these Hebrew feasts, various um, scrolls of the Bible are read during each of the feasts. For example, during the Feast of Purim, we we, we actually I'm going to start with Passover. The first month of the Hebrew calendar is the month of Nisan, and during the month of Nisan, during the Feast of Passover, we read the book called. Megillat HaSharim, which is the Song of Solomon. And then we come to the Feast of Shavuot. And the Feast of Shavuot, in, in, in Hebrew it's called Shavuot, meaning the Feast of Weeks. Uh, in Greek it's called Pentecost, meaning the 50th, but both, both days are the very same event. And on that feast, what the Jews read is, 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 the, is the book of Megillat Ruth, the Scroll of Ruth. Then on Tisha B'Av, we read the book of Ika, or Lamentations. On Sukkot, which is the feast coming up in about five days, it's a seven-day feast, the Feast of Sukkot. In English, we call it 
the Feast of Tabernacles, we read the book of Megillat Kohelet, which is the scroll of Ecclesiastes. In Hebrew, it's called Kohelet, and which we translate as preacher. And the Greek name of the book is Ecclesiastes. And then finally, during the 12th month of the Hebrew calendar, we celebrate the Feast of Purim, and during Purim, we read the book of Esther. So, so those, th th that's some background um, of, of the various feasts and the books that are read during the feast. Now, during Purim, we, we read the book, of, um, the book of Jonah, but I'm not going not, not to teach on Jonah th this, uh, tonight. Tonight, I'm actually going to focus on the next feast that's coming up in five days after Purim, and that's, that's the Feast of Sukkot. I'll use the word Sukkot and the, and the words Feast of Tabernacles interchangeably. They're both the, seven, they're both the same feast, that there are seven-day feasts, the Feast of Tabernacles. So we're, we're going to talk about that tonight. And so as, as we complete, you know, after we complete the Feast of Yom Kippur, then we're going to start our preparation for Sukkot, or Feast of Tabernacles. And tonight I want to focus on that feast. And during this time we read the, we read the book of um, Kohelet, or Ecclesiastes, and it's very difficult to understand why we read the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a book that appears to be very negative, it appears to be a downer, it, it appears to be a very depressing, a very sad book on the surface, and why are we reading such a book during the most joyful feast of the entire year? Because the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot, is the culmination of all the feasts in the seventh month. And, and this is supposed to be the most joyful, the most exciting, the most glorious feast of the, of the entire year. And why would, why would we read a book that seems to be so, so much of a downer during the most festive time of the entire year? And that's, that's one of the questions we're going to address tonight as well. And on the surface reading of the text of Ecclesiastes, the book appears to be very pessimistic. And why are we reading a pessimistic book during a very optimistic time? That's, the, that's one of the things we're going to answer. If you turn, turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes and look at verse 2 of chapter 1, it reads, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Can you imagine writing this on the cover of someone's birthday card? I mean, and, and this is how the book of Ecclesiastes opens. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And you know, I mean, so this book appears to be very pessimistic on the surface, but as you dig deeper into the book, and as you dig into the rabbinic commentaries, you're going to find that in contrast, this book is, is supposed to be a very positive book, a very optimist book. And this is a book like no other book that prepares us for the Feast of Tabernacles. And so, the question I'm going to, I'm going to ask you is, how can vanity be connected with optimism and unspeakable joy? Because the Feast of Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, is connected with unspeakable joy. And there is a connection, I promise you, between Sukkot and Kohelet. Um, I'll use the word, just to give you a little, uh, a little framework here, I'll use, the words, I'll use the words Kohelet and Ecclesiastes interchangeably, because they refer to the same book. And I'll use the words Sukkot and Feast of Tabernacles interchangeably. And I just say that as a preface so you can follow me throughout tonight's teaching. So your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to experience meaning in your life. And God, God doesn't want you to live your lives without purpose. God does not want you to live your life without a sense of direction. 
I mean, God, during this month of Tishri, God wants to bring tremendous clarity and direction for the next biblical year. You know, we, uh, you know, we on our Western Gregorian calendars, we celebrate New Year's Day on January 1st. And many of us during January 1 will set a New Year's resolution and we'll set goals for the new year. We may set financial goals, uh, relational goals. We'll set goals for many areas of our lives. And some of us, some of us may say, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to eat healthier. I'm going to work out. I'm going to do different things during the year. Some of you may say, well, I'm going to set reading the entire Bible in a year as one of my goals. And that's, those are all wonderful things to, to, to go for. But that's how we do it on the Western calendar. On the Hebrew calendar, on the biblical calendar, in the Jewish calendar, the new year doesn't begin on the first day of the first month. The new year begins on the first day of the seventh month. And today we are in, coming into, tonight, we are coming into the tenth day of the seventh month. It's a day known as Yom Kippur. It's the day of atonement. It's a day that represents Christ Jesus offering his own blood on the mercy seat in heaven because Christ Jesus is our Messiah and he is the high priest. He is the high priest by the order of Melchizedek and he offers his own blood on the altar in heaven. And this is the only day of the year, according to the rabbis, the only day of the year in which Satan is not allowed to accuse the brethren. And this, and, and this is the holiest day of the entire year. Amen. So you draw with me, please say amen. Alrighty. So we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to get started with the teaching tonight. I want to read a quote to you from the Midrash. And really, this is one of the goals of Ecclesiastes. And, it, and it, the quote reads, Wherever you find a barrier against immorality and lust, there you find holiness. And the goal of this season is to find holiness in every area of our lives. And the first step to build a barrier against immorality and lust is to find, it, 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 it's whenever you find a barrier against immorality and lust, there you will find holiness. And our goal is to infuse the entire year with holiness. That we live our entire year with, uh, with, pur with purity, with truth, with holiness. And I want to explain this concept of finding a barrier uh, 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 to, against immorality uh, 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 with, a, with a little more instruction. You know, there's a, there's a rabbinic concept known as building a fence around the Torah. And that's exactly what we're doing during the Feast of, of, of Sukkot. We are building a fence around the Torah. And what that means is, it's a, it's a rabbinic idiom, and what it means is that we are building guardrails in our lives that will prevent, that will prevent us uh, from falling into sin. For example, to give you a natural example, uh, um, in biblical times, if you were to build a house, you would build a fence uh, around the, the roof of the house. Because often people would gather on the roof of the house for, for, for fellowship. And the reason they would build a guardrail or a fence around the top of the house is to prevent others from accidentally falling over. Now, I want you to apply that concept in your own personal lives in terms of sin. So that means that we build guardrails in our own lives that will prevent us from falling into sin. For example, let's say you struggle with the sin of gossip. And let's say that whenever you talk to so-and-so, you, 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 you easily fall into the sin of, of, of gossip or evil speech about somebody. So what you can do is you can set guardrails in your own life where you may minimize, minimize conversations 
with that person, or you may just set a, um, an agenda for the calls you have with that person to where you'll talk about certain things, but you will not talk about things that will derail or speak or be negative about other people. That is an example of building our guardrail. Or let's say um, someone has struggled with, with, with different types of sin that can come forth just by going on the internet. And that may require that you build even guardrails in, in your own life where you may buy an internet filter filtering service that will prevent you from going to certain websites. So there are so many examples in our own lives where we can build guardrails to prevent us from falling in, into sin. And that's what, that's what it means to build a fence around the Torah, is that you're building a Torah fence around your own life to where you'll build these barriers to pre prevent you from falling into sin. Um, if you've struggled with alcohol or drug addiction, you, uh, and you've, you've, come, you've come out of those, those struggles, well then you, you may build a guardrail where you'll hold yourself accountable to other people. And even in ministry, we build guardrails in our lives too, too, to where we are. We don't do our own thing, but we are in submission to authority, and we're under pastoral, a uh, pastoral covering. That and those that will be, uh, that will be. People in our lives that we hold ourselves accountable to, so that we don't go into error. Amen. So those are those are examples. So and, and that really explains what the midrash says. Whenever you build a barrier against immorality and lust. There you will find holiness. And when you build these guardrails or building a fence around the Torah, what you are doing is you will find holiness because you are building prevention mechanisms in your life to prevent you from sinning in any, in any area. Amen? And, and the way you find holiness in your life is, is, is not by seeing yourself as being better than somebody else, but it, the way you build holiness in your life is... is, is by developing self-control, but by developing godly character traits, by, but, but by living a, a life worthy of our calling in Christ Jesus, and that we really live a life that represents the character of Christ in the earth. Because most people are not going to, uh, you know, really don't care if you go to church seven, eight, nine, ten times a week. What, what they really look for is that your walk represents your, 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 your faith. And that means that we live a life worthy of our calling, that we really represent, that we really become Christ ambassadors in the earth. And if you're with me, please say amen once again. And there are different ways in which we can find holiness. You know, Solomon found holiness in, the, in, 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 in pleasure. Dave, King David found pleasure in battle. And the, the various patriots found pleasure, uh, I shouldn't say pleasure, but they found holiness in, in, in different in, in different ways and, and my goal my request of the Holy Spirit for each and every one of us tonight is that we that we will find the key that will draw holiness into our lives the key that will cause us to walk in the way in, in the ways of God and I'll, and I'll I'll dive more into that next week but I don't want to focus on that in tonight's teaching now during during this feast of Sukkot as we prepare for Sukkot which which is going to begin on the 15th day of the month of Tishri. During the Feast of Sukkot, we read the book of Ecclesiastes, and again, Sukkot is a feast that's filled with tremendous simcha, with tremendous joy. And the book of Kohalet is a book that appears to be very pessimistic, but what I want you to know is that that's not the case. Kohalet, on the surface, may appear pessimistic, but as you dive into the text, you're going to find that, that the book of Kohalet teaches us how to find the fullness of joy. And this book should infuse your lives 
with tremendous joy and happiness. Amen. Because the month of Sukkot is a month that is filled with divine favor from above. Now, Dirk, as we look at this book of Kohelet, or Ecclesiastes, we're going to analyze three words that repeat throughout the book. And as many of you, as many of you know that have learned, that have studied with me for some time, you'll see that my style is often to find words that repeat throughout a book or or repeat in different portions of the Bible, and and draw in and an you know to perform an analysis of those words by comparison by comparison by comparing various texts. And so. The, the three words that we see repeated throughout this book is the word man, the word vanity, and the word son. Can you say that with me? The three words that are repeated throughout the book of Kohelet are man, vanity, and son. And when you, when you read words in English from the Bible, we, we, often there's a concept behind those words. And in English, where we're, where, where we're very limited in the way we can express concepts, you know, we're, we're, we're going to dig into the Hebrew idioms behind those words and get a deeper understanding of what the writer's intent is and what the Holy Spirit's intent is for us and what the message from the Holy Spirit is for us during this season. Because understanding the Hebrew concepts behind these words will reveal the true message of this book that is so often, uh, this book is so often misunderstood and, and even through my spiritual even through my spiritual journey with the lord i often avoided the book of ecclesiastes and in fact this is my very first time teaching the book of ecclesiastes it's a book i often avoided because i couldn't see beyond the pessimism i couldn't see beyond the vanity i didn't really understand the purpose of the book i knew the book was divinely inspired by god i knew that god the holy spirit had ordained this book to be part of the bible but I really didn't understand the, 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 uh, the, the book. I mean, on the surface, it just seemed to say life was meaningless and that nothing, nothing in life is worthwhile. And what I learned from my studies is that is to the contrary, our, life is, our lives are to be infused with purpose, to be infused with meaning, to be infused with the presence of God. And nothing is in the Bible by accident. Every book that's in the Bible, from Genesis through Revelation, is there by divine intent. So whether you're going through the most incredible times in human history, or you're going through a time in history like today, where we're going through the, the pandemic of the coronavirus, uh, uh, regardless of the events of, of human history, the book of Ecclesiastes is, is applicable, and it's a book that's, de that's designed to infuse your life with purpose and, and destiny. Amen? And that's why we call this service Destin of the Torah, because in the Torah, we are going to find God's purpose for our lives. And the Torah, the definition I use, in addition to the, to the literal definition, the definition I like to personally use, it's the entire Bible from Genesis through Revelation interpreted through rabbinic eyes. And Jesus being the greatest rabbis of them all. Now, the first word that we, the, of the three words that I talked about, the three key words that we're going to analyze are the words man, vanity, and son. So let's look at the first word, man. Man refers to not only to the male species of, of, of human being, it, it refers to all of mankind, male and female. Adam being the first, the first man, and woman was the first 
female taken, uh, uh, created from, from the rib of Adam. So uh, when, I, when I say man, I'm referring to both male and female. And all of creation was created perfect except for one. And that's mankind. Let me explain that to you again. All of creation was created perfect except for one, except for one creation. And that, that creation is mankind. Now, I want you to note here, I didn't say with sin. I'm not referring to sin here. Of course, Adam was perfect in, 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 in terms of he, he was without sin when he was created. And he, was not, he and Eve were not kicked out of the Garden of Eden until after the sin. But even before the sin, Adam wasn't created in a way where he had fully actualized his potential in, in, in the earth. For example, everything that was created besides mankind was already perfect. Perfect meaning it did not need improvement. For example, when God created all the, all the species of plants and trees and flowers and, 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 all, the, uh, and all vegetation, tomatoes, uh, carrots, whatever, all that, all that God had created was created in its final state, meaning that a carrot does not need improvement. A, a tree, a palm tree does not need improvement. Everything was created perfect in the way God had designed it, uh, all, all of the vegetation to be created. Same thing goes for angelic beings. Angels were created perfect, meaning they were created in, in the fullness of the design. For example, cherubim were created in the fullness of, of, uh, of the species, angelic species known as a cherubim. Seraphim were created complete. Every angelic species was created complete. I mean, so th 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 there, was, there was no room for improvement. They were not designed with improvement in mind. Even if you look at a car, you know, it, it, you know any model of a car, let's say a Mercedes, it's not, it's not, it's not built with the intent to, to, to make it better than what than the original design. I mean, there may be different models of every particular model of car, but it's not designed in a way that it, it, it's going to just start. It's not going to. It's not going to. It doesn't have built-in self-improvement uh, mechanisms. And with God's creation, everything was created the way God intended. That includes the Earth, the Moon, uh, the planets, the galaxies. All of creation was created in the way God designed them. But mankind is a different type of creation. Yet, I mean, it, it was created. A, it's not perfect in the sense that it's not in its final state. Meaning that mankind is designed to be in a state of constant improvement. You know, we've all, you know, many of us have heard about uh, computer technology and, and how computer technology is coming to a place where, where, where things will start to self, you know, self-heal and, and continue to improve and continue to learn. Well, that concept wasn't invented by computer scientists. That concept was created by God and when God created mankind, He created mankind with the ability to, to continue learning forever and ever and ever. And that does not mean that mankind will become God, ever. That will never take place. Mankind is a species of creation that, will, that is designed to continually improve. And how does, how does mankind improve? Mankind it improves by learning God's Word. Because at, and that's what we will be doing for all eternity. We're not going to be sitting up in the clouds playing harps, sitting on clouds um, um, after the rapture. No, we're going to be serving God for all eternity 
and we'll continue learning His Word, and we'll, con we'll continue to improve. And in this life, we should continue to improve. That means our character will continue to refine. Our understanding of God will continue to, to, to increase. And because God, God has created mankind with so much potential, and, we, and God has given us the responsibility to actualize and to realize that potential that he, has, that he has put within each and every one of us. See, all of creation besides mankind lacked nothing upon creation. See, Scripture does not teach evolution. Mankind did not evolve from monkeys. Mankind, be, uh, you know, the, mankind is the same species, the same limbs, the same creation since God created Adam and Eve. And, and so we don't, we, we don't, what's taking place, the improvement that takes place is in our, is in our understanding of God, our, our understanding of our purpose in life. And that, in, that, in that sense, we were not created perfect because we, we, there is always room for improvement. Amen? And on Tishri 1, on Rosh Hashanah, we all pass before God in a judgment. A preliminary, a preliminary judgment, as I call it. And God judges for our works, as we see in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. And God gives us 10 more days to, to, of repentance. Because we'll, during these high holidays from, from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, we have 10 days to repent even further and return to what God has called us to be. And on Yom Kippur, which is tonight, God will seal our destiny for the next 12 months. That means in every area, area of our lives, our destiny is being sealed. And mankind is the only species of creation with the potential and the responsibility to actualize the, the, uh, what, what God has for them. So I want you to let this year be a glorious year and allow God to, complete, to expand your borders, to increase your knowledge of Him, to increase your territory, to allow God to increase your ministries, to allow God to be a part of every area in your life. And in a person's name, which we're not going to talk about tonight, but in your name, in the name that your parents gave you, in the Hebrew, is your mission statement. Because even in your name is your mission. And God, and within your name is your, is your, is, is your potential, and God is going to cause you to realize who you are in Christ Jesus. Amen? And greatness, because all of you are being called to greatness. And if you desire greatness in your life, please type greatness in, in, the, in the chat window below. Greatness is not a product of complacency. See, greatness does not just come to any individual. Greatness is forged from tension of, of a struggle to emerge from darkness and create light. And I'm telling you, when you will rely, realize greatness in your life through the struggles of life. And that's why I believe God has given us tests as a gift. Because it's through the testing that God puts us through 